ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm super excited, man, because if you just listened to the past episode, uh, you heard a lot of passion. It was so much, but I definitely wanted to have this conversation here. This is our second bonus episode. I'm bringing on my big brother. <laughs> uh, now nah, I just want to have a conversation, man, with my big brother, Javante Anyambuela. Uh, he is, uh, someone who I really look up to. He is the brainchild behind Back to Blacklist. And I feel like this is something else we need to hear during this time. So do me a favor, kick back, relax, enjoy this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm super excited about this person I'm about to bring on the podcast. Uh, I've been wanting this dude to come on the podcast, honestly, since day one. Um, there's some people, I've never told him this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna just put, I'm gonna give a confession on the podcast. So when I begin to say things the way I say them online, whether it's like my political stance on something, there's a certain amount of people when they like it or love it, I get more confident about what I said. Then I start talking more shit. <laughs> and this is one of those people. Um, it's my big brother, man. He is again, somebody I respect like no other. You're going to learn his story. You're going to learn how we met. And this is somebody that has truly taught me a lot of everything from politically in this movement to gospel music. <laughs> like this brother has been my big brother, my mentor, my teacher since I met him. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a round of applause to my big brother, my friend, Javante Anyambuele. Oh, give me a real applause. Yeah, we do, we, we the doing a, in the back. But we doing a real thing here, dog. This, this ain't no janky podcast, dog. This ain't no, this, Clearly. this is the real deal. Clearly, I don't know what I was coming into. I was looking for the wire hanger with the foil around it. You, you legit. <laughs> hey, my man, my man looking like that uh, ding la ding dong. <laughs> hey, so look, bro, uh, we can jump right into it, man. Um, what's so crazy? I've been paying attention to your post lately, uh, so I know where you at mentally right now. I know where you always been. Um, but the reason why I'm doing this podcast because – I've had a lot of people reach out to me and they asking me the same question. How do I get involved? What do I do? Where do I start? And, um, when those questions were asked to me, I, I brought several, several of people that I really respect on this podcast, whether it was Derek Bozeman, uh, attorney Mavely Davis, uh, Dr. Akinyela, um, Baba Mukasa Ricks. Like I brought, I brought some real, legit cats on here but the reason why i want to bring you on man just because your specific uh story and your campaign bro the back to the blacklist oh okay yeah. uh, the back to the blacklist uh is what you gave me when i met you and i was like dang like he just broke this down in a way that if we implemented this we could see some real change in our community so that's why you're here but before we start man how you feeling i am um I'm 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 in an interesting space. Um, I don't know when your listeners are listening to this, but this is day six since the latest travesty that's taken effect on our people in America, where George Floyd was heinously murdered uh, for the world to see uh, by police officers from my hometown, in Minneapolis, um, and so um, we got. 
um, an arrest with maybe some trumped up uh, Trump charges um, for for the, the main culprit, but not his accomplices. Uh, and so it's day six of unrest in incivility, uh, and I am I am saddened that another black man is gone too soon at the hands of police. Uh, but I am paradoxically proud to be from Minneapolis uh, and, and the response of the folk on the ground in the Twin Cities uh, in my hometown, uh, just because uh, not only <clears throat> for the grassroots, uh, not only on that level, but also um, some of the government, the municipal government there is really understanding the people, right. uh, trying to work with the people. And, you know, it's been a spark uh, of, uh, in the latest uprising, honestly, um, that lit, lit the, the nation on fire figuratively and literally um, and in the world. Right. So, you know, I see the solidarity building across the world. It, it reminds me of Arab Spring. And so now we are we are the Cairo of, uh, of the U.S. now. Um, and, 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 and I'm loving it, man. Uh, like when yeah. I say I feel, I'm watching the videos at home and I feel that energy, bro. Like, yeah. I feel the passion. I feel the fight. And, and what's so crazy, if you go back, the listeners just listening right now, if you go back to a, probably about two episodes ago, we were talking about, it was an episode titled, We Must Organize for Ahmad. And we were just saying how there's a awakening that's happening in our young people. There's a, a a sense of consciousness is being arose in our communities, and it's it's I feel it even more this week than I felt it two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I I think uh, you know everyone everyone is, uh, and we'll get into it. But everyone, you know, is, you know, is a straw that broke the camel's back. This is what they say, right? Right. I think people forget that parable comes from the fact that there were a million other straws underneath the one that broke his back. And I think that that's where we are in terms of, you know, before George Floyd, we were dealing with uh, Breonna Taylor. We were dealing with um, uh, Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, and this, that's just this year. Right. And in the middle of this pandemic. Uh, and so all of these things have, have been building up. Um, and this is where we are now. And this was, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and you can almost sense it, especially because of the government's non-action or lack of action around the pandemic. Uh, you could sense where we were headed anyway. Right. Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. So, um, one thing I like about you, Javante, when I first met you, you said something that just stood out to me and, in that moment, I knew I was like, yeah, this is going to be my dude. I'm going to rock with this brother. Uh, but you said you were living out overseas. Um, and you could talk about a little about your, your career, uh, a lot of the accomplishments you have made in the corporate world. You've uh, done your thing. But you were living overseas, living it up, a life that most people would dream for. But you said you came back because you seen what was happening to your people. And y'all wanted to get involved. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, I um um I've been afforded the opportunity to to be what they call an expatriate twice in my my working career. 
one in Europe um, about 15 years ago, and then uh, one in Asia about um, five years ago. I came back five years ago then. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a life living high off the hog for sure, uh, especially when it, it's – I don't do public sector, so this was all private corporations, you know. So it was, right. it was good life, but, you know, having – access to uh, being Joseph in, 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 in Egypt, sitting next to Pharaoh, but then seeing all, how your people being treated, it, it, it wasn't something that was sitting and resting well, and not just me, but my wife as well. Um, Shout out so to Talitha. We made that, yeah, Talitha. Uh, and we, we, made the, we made that decision, you know, to say, look, this has been fun. We, we, you know, we've experienced it. Not much more we can gain from a sole purpose point of view living over here. Although we love it, it's time to go back and do the work because we're needed. Our people are needed. Too often, those of us with skills that have been developed um, uh, over time and are exceptional at what we do don't use those same skills to aid our, our, our people. I didn't want to be in that number. It wasn't how I was raised. It wasn't how I grew up. It wasn't how I was educated. And so it was time to, to come back. That was that was five years ago, believe it or not. Wow. So, yeah. So that's what's... Fact, I, yeah, five years ago to the day. This is where we got on the plane. Five years ago to the day. Wow. So when you told me that, I was like, yeah, this is, this is a good dude because you, you came... I met you at Sankofa Church, and you just came hands on deck, bro. You just came ready to work. And you just got involved. And I just seen how you moved, bro. You you came to specifically to a pan-African black church. You found mm-hmm. uh you were looking nothing for uh black schools for your kids. You wanted to live in a mm-hmm. black neighborhood. Like you moved and lived in a way that was just a beautiful example. And it didn't reflect what people try to think the movement is. People think the movement is, oh, you wear dashikis all day. Although you got some clean dashikis, you definitely do. Right, right, right. <laughs> like, uh, you wear dashikis all day. You ain't got no money. You know what I mean? You know, this, the stereotypical what people try to view the movement is. Yeah. And like, you lived an example that showed that one, that's not true. And then you, uh, provided us with back to the blacklist. And I'm going to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, so much more good, you know, just Pan-Africanism, sometimes people get caught up in the uh, the philosophy of it, or any ism, you get caught up in the philosophy of it, even, you know, in religions, in Christianity or Islam, you get caught up in the philosophy of it, you forget to live that life, like right. truly live it. Right. Um, and so, you know, you can't be a Pan-Africanist. Pan-Africanism with your kids in white schools. It just don't work that way. You know, you, you just... You, you, I agree. You're missing something there. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you... But, um... I was, I was living out the Back to Black list. So the list I created... Are we jumping into that now? Yeah. So, yeah, when you met me, I was I was being extremely deliberate in showing that my, my philosophy and ideology lined up with my way of life. And... That was that was birthed out of a lot of education, but the catalyst for it specifically, right before I was moving to Asia, I had been working in Asia, actually sort of commuting back and forth from Asia. My family was still in the States, um, starting in like 2012, 
just a few months before the Trayvon Martin was killed um, and murdered. And then that, that news broke. Um, and I actually, I remember when that news broke, I was in Japan um, at the time. Um, I was, and I was only over there for like two weeks coming back to the States. But fast forward a year and a half later, we made the decision to, um, to, 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 to move over, to move my family over. And, um, I, I was over there setting things up for them. I had basically been over there for about six weeks and I was about to come back. And then the, the, the Zimmerman verdict was released, uh, to not guilty. And coming out of that, and during the whole time talking about Trayvon Martin, going back up a little bit, you know, he, he also was, it, it was so heinous and how it grabbed the nation's attention and who he was, who, who, who how everything went down. But um, prior to that, there had been a, a string and a, and a rash of, of these unarmed killings of black men as well. And I kept talking about, you know, we have to understand the importance and give the right amount of weight to the physicality of where we live. Um, and where we live is, is, is extremely important as a people because we can't protect the herd if we ain't a part of the herd. Right. You ain't never seen a gazelle uh, make it and survive alone. You know, because the lion's the extra. Right. In fact, they trying to separate you from the pack. So, um, you know, out of the frustration and really the torment within my soul, me being in Asia, getting this news, not even being, you know, in the same country, you know, all my people affected. I, I took to Facebook and I just wrote down my thoughts and tried to break down some of the things that I had been saying for a long time in a very simple format. And so the post became like one or two posts. I looked like, okay, here's step one. This is what we need to do. Uh, and then at the end of the day, it became like 10, po- 10, 10 steps, probably between like one or two or three posts, just on Facebook that I was doing. And my wife put it together, and she's the one who actually calls it back to blacklist. Um, but, you know, that list is just, to me, the fundamental changes in how we needed to move. And, they, and I try to place it in a way that was as simple as possible because it's amazing how. You know, you understand that story of, uh, you really understand that story of the Israelites of Egypt and how they didn't want to move at all when you're living it out in your black life in America. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right, like, right. You know, I give you every excuse, like, oh, it's too complicated. This is, I can't do this. I can't do that, you know. Right. Uh, it's hard to find black businesses. <laughs> yeah, you know, all of that. Like, well, yeah, if you live where you're the only black family in your entire municipality, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're going to struggle finding a black business. But if you live where black folk live, guess what? You're probably going to be able to find you a black business. Fairly simple, right? Right. So, you know, and um, and when we, we hear things, and, you know, black folks, especially black educated folks, they love to throw out stuff like, oh, the black dollar doesn't circulate in the black community. Well, why? well let's talk about that. Why is that, right? And then when you break it down, it's like, well, I have no chance because as soon as you get that check, you out of the black community. Right. You know, the only time you coming in is on Wednesday nights and Sunday morning. You know, and maybe then you picking up a chicken dinner on your way back out to, to go live to next to white folks chasing whiteness. To your detriment. Imagine a gazelle trying to be a lion. 
You know, how well would that work out for them, right? So, <laughs> but, you know, so so the Back to Blacklist was, was, was just basically uh, created to say, okay, here are some simple things that we, we can we can do to to protect ourselves. You know, step one, I, I, I specifically started with this one, um, is get on, get yourself a registered gun and learn how to use it for self-defense. The reason I started with that was because it wasn't because it is not necessarily about the gun. I mean, you know, we're familiar with guns. We live in America, right? More guns than people. Right. But black folks, and, and, and a gun gives a, a, an artificial but still a comfort level. It's an artificial comfort level for folks to feel like they're more secure with a gun, right? Right. And black folks love to say, because step number two is it was relocated in a black community and then put your children in predominantly black schools. So before we could even get to step number two, I wanted to just talk about step number one because what I was trying to do was say, okay, here, it's still safer with a gun. So then when you say, oh, it's not safe in a black community, that's why I live by these white folks, not understanding how psychologically damning that is for you. Right, uh, right. You know, but, Okay, so if you're scared, then then why don't you just get a gun and learn how to use it? Arm so you can feel extra protected, right? Right. So so let's start there, right? If that's if that's what's got you scared, let's start there. Um, the gun also was 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 very simple, man. You know, you don't think twice about running up when they put those signs out to say this house is armed, and you you know your career is maybe like running up in people's houses. You're gonna you gonna hesitate might pass on that house. You gotta, yeah, you gotta hesitate. You might pass on that. So if if people knew they were coming into communities where, yeah, you come into that community and you run up on somebody the wrong way, you ain't gonna you ain't gonna make it right. And I ain't talking about just like random thug stuff. I'm talking about straight up like, nah, these people have things to protect and assets to protect. You know, that's really what what, what number one was about. Um, you know, and then number two was relocating the black communities and put your children in a predominantly black school. So this is probably the one that gives the greatest hesitation to folks. Um, I ain't moving over there. We, <laughs> uh, I ain't moving over there with them niggas. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, we, we, we simply, we scared of ourselves because we buy into a lot of what has been taught in schools that are not black. So that's why that couple would put your children in a black school. So at the very least, look, I went to, I'm from Minnesota, right? Right. So, you know, you hear all the statistics now that are coming out, but when I was growing up, Minnesota was like 7% black now. That's the state. When I was growing up, it was like 4%. So the Twin Cities was about 19%. Uh, Minneapolis, about 23%. North Minneapolis, about 60% black. Uh, near North, the hood where I grew up is like 85% black. So needless to say, all the black people in the state of Minnesota at least know somebody from North Minneapolis. Right. right. So all the music that ever came out of there, you ain't even know people from Minnesota. I ain't going to go down that list this show, but <laughs> the, the point is they, they, they probably came from North Minneapolis. He got right? Prince, y'all. He got Prince. Let's give him that. <laughs> I mean, we, that ain't it. <laughs> that ain't it. <laughs> that ain't it. That ain't it. That's another show. Another day. But, <laughs> but, but the, 
but the point that I was getting at is I lived in this very, very black neighborhood and I had a few, um, you know, there's a few white folks that I went to school with. They're more comfortable around black folks than a lot of black folks who grew up in white areas because they know, you know, they talk, educated with. And so that's the push to say, we got to get comfortable with ourselves so we can love ourselves. And once we love ourselves, then we can protect ourselves. Right. And, and, and so that, that, that was number two on the back to blacklist. And it's so very important. Um, Cause when we get down to number, number four, um, it, it becomes more important. But number three was taking money out of white banks and put them in black banks. Say that one more time. Take your money out of white banks and find yeah. a black bank. Yeah, and, and specifically say it. It don't just say open a bank at a at a open a bank account at a black bank and the, put a dollar in there. The the, the hundred dollars you know? that you gonna pull out the ATM. Yeah. yeah, that that's not helpful. Banking is about deposit. When they get deposits, they can make loans. I mean, you got to put a substantial amount of money in there for the bank to thrive. If the bank is thriving, and the community in which it serves will thrive. And if the community is thriving, then you have less issues that would cause some fool to think that he could be neighborhood watch and play cops and robbers or these police to feel like they have a purpose um, occupying our neighborhoods. So, you know, it's tied to the economics. All of this is tied to the economics. And uh, black economics is microeconomics. And you cannot practice microeconomics from afar. Uh, and, and so microeconomics is basically stating that, you know, it's the, it's the group of goods and services for value that are traded amongst this microcosm. Right. And so you can't do that. You can't be like, we, we talk about this uh, almost existential experience of a black community. Like it's just this thought. It's this philosophy, uh, this, this mindset. No, it's a place. It's a place we got to be a part of. Right. And so you got to move your money out of white banks, put it in the black banks. You got to move into black communities. You got to support black schools. And, you know, the reason why all of this, you have to do that is because of number four. Uh, I mean, it, it, it is because of number four, which is, you know, when possible, stop buying things from white businesses and start spending them in black businesses. So you can't, nobody is going to go to um, the the black owned dry cleaner. If it's 30 minutes outside of the way to where you got to go. Dry cleaning is a convenience service. Right. Okay. So you can't support the, the black owned dry cleaner. If, if that ain't on your way home. Right. Right. You know, and, and so many of our businesses, our small sole proprietors like that, we can't even get in the game to really start talking about circulating dollars, dollars unless we are around that. If we so, in that area, I agree with that. I agree with that. So yeah. that's and, and that's another reason when I started Spendify, I used to always tell people, uh, I I, I kind of listen to some people complaints, but if you live in Atlanta, shut the hell up. Like mm-hmm. you got in Atlanta, people in Atlanta have no excuse. Like. I mean, you could do something as simple. You could do something as simple as I will never go to another restaurant unless it's black owned, and you will have fast food. You will have fine dining. You will have street market. Like black businesses in Atlanta, we're we're good. So that's why my level of frustration with this city really rises because niggas be playing. Yeah, 
and, and it's funny, you know, we moved to Atlanta thinking, oh yeah, this would be, this is going to be easy to catch on because it's, it's, it's the Mecca, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's, it's, it's always been this, you know, it's a new chocolate city. It, it was just always a great place for, for black folks, but now the more black folks are here. This is, this, this is great. We don't do this. And we heard the most excuses on why this couldn't work and why this was so dangerous. And you see it in it. You see it play out in the numbers, the income disparity uh, in Atlanta. It's, it's, you know, there's this. It's horrible, yeah, bro. Yeah, it's worse. It's worse I've ever seen it amongst black folks. And in, in the, the this classism in Atlanta is like we sound white. No, black folks sound not, white. They don't sound Atlanta. white. They are white. They worse yeah. than white. And uh, yeah. and 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 hold on, my producer Keith, he about to jump on the mic. Look, uh, Javante, because I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you that question. Atlanta has a big class problem, and what yeah. do you have to say to those people who hear who are saying I'm black and I want to support, but they're not down for moving into black all, all black neighborhoods, sending their kids to an all black school because they quote unquote want to be diversified. You know, so they're, okay. they're, they're, they're well-meaning so, people, but because I've had this conversation with a person before and they flat out responded and they said, well, why do I have to live around all black people? I'll, I'll shop yeah. black. I'll donate to the organizations, but why do I have to live yeah. and put my kids in those situations? So could you speak to that? So first thing that we have to do as a people is we, there needs to be a disavowal of classism in general because it is the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled to think that unmasked black folks reside in different classes. Just because your income is in a different class does not mean your wealth is. And wealth and class is really designed by wealth. Ooh, so what really? I'm saying is that you can have a six-figure income uh, and a huge house in Atlanta because re- real estate is relatively cheap. Um, and so, you know, a house in more, more like true metropolis-type cities, um, Atlanta is just... It's, it's swollen and now it's you know overcrowded. It was always a very very sort of big town type, but it's turned into this big city without the normal characteristics of big cities. Which is like, okay, if I have a four thousand square foot house, it's probably gonna cost me a million dollars. In Atlanta, it's gonna cost you two fifty. You feel like you're the king, right? right. You live far and out, right? So, but at the end of the day, you feel broke because you can't live like that anywhere else, and it'd be, it'd be comfortable to you. Right. So this, this is the thing about Atlanta that is uh, confusing to a lot of folks is that one, we think that our incomes mean that puts us in that class. Right. The truth is that, you know, we don't have the money we think we have in Atlanta that the, the cost of living affords us in Atlanta. So why am I starting here? Because if you understand that you really ain't that much better off, then the postal worker that you would potentially live next door to, um, you know, you just have more income, but you're spending it all on, you know, this overextension, overindexing on, on, on mortgages and everything else. Um, you, you're still broke. And uh, class is really about old money, new money, that type of thing. And when you have no money, you, don't, you, ain't, you ain't got no class. Right. So, so you you what you think you're what you think you're defending yourself from, or what you think you have more in common with those white folks out in the counties, right? So unless you're in Fulton or Atlanta proper inside the perimeter, uh, then you start talking about Gwinnett, 
Cobb, you know, all these other things. And when you out there and you kind of, you think that you were, you were on par with them, but you're not because they live in that house and they're not punching above their weight class. They're living below their means. So they're in this house that costs three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars, but their incomes are million dollar income. Right. See, we go live in these houses and then our incomes be like 150. We go live in these $400,000 houses. We got the game all backwards. Anyway, I start there to say that you have some misperceptions about the benefits of quote unquote diversity. And when black folks say diversity, it's almost a dirty word. I, I say, because it's a misuse of it. what diversity are you looking for when it comes to, to educating your kids? What are they supposed to gain besides low self-esteem when they go to all white schools? Shit. You know, because that's what happens, right? But that's what happened to me, man. I talk about this publicly on this podcast. I'm a product of a black, a genius black boy going into the lion's den of white schools. I went to Athens Christian School, bro, and that's what it built, insecurities. I had no... Uh, I had no confidence in my academic abilities because they had no standards for my intelligence. They only had standards for my athletic abilities. Yeah. And, and, what, and what ends up happening, what ends up happening there is then the development of our most, uh, our most precious assets are, are the young minds. They get, they get really stunted. Uh, when you talk about teaching the whole child, so all of the studies out there show black kids in white schools fare no better and a lot of the times worse than black kids in black schools. Okay, mm. so you can give them all of the bells and whistles and the trinkets and they still end up in the same places at best as other black kids who didn't have it. Um, and really most of the time was at the core of that is a, it's, it's a failure to, to teach them who they are. What do I mean by that? When I was in Singapore, uh, Singapore has the number one school system in the world. And that's not hyperbole. Hyperbole. That's in every, you look at everything, uh, Singapore is number one. Okay. You know, the U.S. is like 36. Okay. And they only, I don't even think there's, uh, 36 first world countries in, in the, in the world, but the U.S. is at the bottom. You right. know what I'm saying? So there, there are, there are third world countries and developing countries that have better school systems than the U S Singapore has the best in the entire world. So my daughter was in school in Singapore. We put her in the local school um, because we never worried about, um, you know, what she would get. My, my wife is an educator. She was a teacher, then a principal at an Afrocentric private school, then an educational consultant. So we were good. We, we knew we, you know, we equipped to, to, teach my my daughter um at that time we put her into the local school and their curriculum now she's they do two kindergartens they do what we would call pre-k they're actually doing kindergarten our version of kindergarten for the pre-k age and then they do um and then they do a k2 what they call it um which is like another extended kindergarten so by the time they're in first grade they're already reading they're already doing math so they're just like they're they're hitting Keith so like that. Learn, Keith, he, 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 uh, he hard on the education at home. So Keith likes that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they do that in the schools there, right? And what, and, and it's starting at three, four years old. And what they learn in K one on the curriculum, what it says in the local schools is what does it mean to be a Singaporean? 
That's the first thing that they learn. Before they learn anything, by the, now, by the time they get to first grade, they doing math and reading better than everybody else. But the first thing that they're learning is, who am I? Nice. What is my purpose? And, and our kids will go through all the way through 12, 12 grades and never learn that. Potentially even college, depending on where you go and what yeah. you study. Yeah. And, and, and so, and, and the reason that's so important, purpose is so important, is because when that passion runs out for whatever that you're doing, you got to be able to fall back on something else greater than you. And that's what education is supposed to be about, teaching that whole child, let alone the fact that studies also show when you put black kids around white teachers, they're going to fare worse because of the low expectations. That drives the achievement gap. What, they don't, what you don't get out of those teachers um, is someone who truly loves that child, so they won't accept less from that child. Okay? And so all of these things are... When, when I add it up, I'm like, okay, you, you saying you moved to so-and-so neighborhood for the good schools because it has an A grade. Okay, good school for who, though? Right. Show me the success stories of the black kids that came out of that school. Right, right. Right? So so, so I, got go a, I got a question um, just for the sake of time because I, what I'm doing, we're going to transcribe all of these and put up in our show notes, okay. the black to black list. But it's it's some mm-hmm. more on here that I re- that really in times like this are important. And I want you to go to number seven on the list. Yeah, no, number seven says turn off all major news outlets. Watch TV one, listen to local community radio, buy black newspapers and read them online. Find some blog radio stations and podcasts. And then there's a quote by Malcolm X that says, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you uh, hating the people that are being oppressed and loving the people that are doing the oppression. And uh, we are seeing that so clear, like so yeah, clear yeah. right now. And especially even in, and I keep going back in on Atlanta because we, we promote Atlanta as Wakanda was what T.I. called it. Right. And, uh, yeah. to a, to a extent, I, I agree with him and I, I'll talk about that later why I agree with him. Um, because Wakanda <laughs> wasn't perfect either. It wasn't perfect either. I mean, Wakanda was a classism, and they Wakanda is the reason why Killmonger was created. The classism of Wakanda. So, if we want to talk about it, Atlanta is Wakanda, and we seeing Killmonger burn this shit down right now. So, that's a whole other conversation. But what I'm saying is that's so important because the one, number one thing people say when you post some shit, because I'm I'm all about blogs, podcasts, stuff like that. And I would argue that this podcast gives a lot of great information, especially credible information on what we should be doing. But the first thing you hear people say is, did it come from, what source did it come from? Did CNN post that? Did uh, Fox post that? Like, you looking at these big outlets as credible sources. And that's one thing we have to change. So, yeah. It, again, it, it really goes back to what do you value? And who who do you believe? Whose words you gonna believe, right? Right. So so I just wonder what black people believe, knowing all that we know in this history, right? If 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 Africans today did that white woman ever get believed who who said uh, Emmett Till whistled at her by black folks? You know, because today I feel like she may have had a chance. There may have been some folks that have been a little bit more understanding, right? Bruh. And if it ain't caught on camera, 
you know, we don't see the insidious nature of, of everything that's happening. Bruh, Amy, and in the park, we seen it. We just seen yeah. it. We just seen Emmett Till happen in the fucking right. park. That's what that shit yeah. was. Yeah, and 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 that again, it's just about the value system. Or and listen, I want to be clear in what I'm saying about white folks. It's not that an individual white person I wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt, but when you look at the statistical significance of, of numbers of white folks and how many lies have been perpetuated and how many stories have been purported about black people that have just been fanciful um, ideas in white people's minds, there's no way I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Right. If, if that tape, if that, if the video wasn't there and, and it's, you know, oh, I fear for my life story. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like before the, it was clear before there was video of Amara, uh, Aubrey, you know, we saw the story. Uh, and so if people start talking like, oh, he was like, was he jogging or was he robbing somebody? What? Like, man, come on, man. This who, is, who gives who a fuck? Right? So how do you, how, so I'm just saying who you believe in. And then if you don't believe in them, how do you believe in their news? Right. Right. How do you believe in their news? So and Woodrow Wilson, the reason I think this is so important is because Woodrow Wilson was, you know, president of the United States. Um, and this man was uh, at one time the president of, of Princeton University. And before that, he was a history teacher uh, at Princeton and Ohio State, a history professor. Okay, so this man is supposed to be learned in history. Okay, so the first movie, um, you know, ever ever showed at the White House was Birth of a Nation. Okay, Wood, Woodrow Wilson allowed it to be showed. And after the movie, this man is on record saying, uh, you know, it was an incredible movie. And the, the only sad part was that it was incredibly true. Okay, and that, that shit rolled. I mean, that, that really was a catalyst to allow a lot more of the lynchings uh, to occur, a lot more of the, the injustices, a lot more of the police brutality. Woodrow Wilson was at the, the middle of that in the, and because the president said it, the media believed it, and because the media wrote it, then other folks started believing it. Right. So this is the history of this country, right? That's being repeated so right now we, with Trump. Right. And, and it don't matter where it's coming from. I mean, I just see them reporting on Minneapolis, and it's funny because Minneapolis, so the south side of Minneapolis where this occurred, that's where they're doing a lot of the rioting. The white supremacists that's uh, engaging in a way where, you know, they like burning stuff. And all, it's just not happening on that level in North Minneapolis where all the black folks are. Right. And CNN ain't, the CNN has not taken one camera in North Minneapolis where the black folks are. You know, where where large amount of this. So, it don't matter if it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, they all do the same thing, which is at the very, at the, at, they're giving them the benefit of the doubt. They don't tell the whole story. But the truth is they straight up lie. And Malcolm was right then, he's right now. And, you know, and another thing is, if we don't support our media outlets and our journalism, remember Ida B. Wells is a journalist. Right. Okay. So if we don't support that, then these black folks have to go in in, in their profession and go work for these white folks and can't tell our truth 
They can't tell our story. And if it's not being reported by the journalists now, then it's not going to be in history in the future. This is you true. Know? And so it's extremely important that we, we do have to make sure we're turning that stuff off and listening to our own. So uh, I need y'all to share the gist of the podcast. Listen to your own. We're giving that too. Uh, all right, so one I want to go to because we went we went really hard on this last week. Uh, number nine, number nine. I think it's important. Talk about it. So focus on the work that can be uh, done outside of policy. Politics aren't the only answer. There's a quote by Du Bois that says, "A little less complaint and whining, and a little more dogged work and manly striving." would do us more credit than a thousand civil rights bills. And so, you know, what that's talking about is the most affluent, well-off minority community in America is the Asian American community. Mm -hmm. Their voting rate is like 4%. Yeah. And they ain't blamed. They never, they are never blamed for us losing elections like black people are. No, no. I mean, they're they're smaller, but you know, just they they vote at like a four. But they don't vote. You can you can say statistically, looking at it statistically, they don't vote. You know, they go out and vote like four percent. Okay. Now, the 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 group that's doing the worst, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm say the Native Americans, but outside of Native Americans is is, is Africans, African Americans. Mm-hmm. And we vote the most out of any ethnic group, including white folks in this country. White folks have been voting like 62%. We vote at a 67% rate. You know, it's not coming from policy. It's just simply not coming from policy. Right. Because, you know, Mike Freeman, the DA in Hennepin County, which which houses uh, Minneapolis and its surrounding suburbs, he was voted in. He's a he's a he's a white liberal Democrat. Okay, so this man will try everything in his power. In fact, the only police officer he's ever uh, prosecuted before was a black man who accidentally accidentally shot a white woman. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. But but there have been twenty million dollars more than any of the other payouts. And and so. And so and that's stupid. what our vote got us. That's what our vote got us, right? And and I'm not saying that uh, it doesn't have its place, um, because if you go across the river uh, to St. Paul, um, my, my boy, uh, we grew up together. Went ended up going to the same college. He's he's now the mayor of St. Paul, and it makes a big difference because you know as soon as he got in there, he started. <laughs> what they didn't want him to do is what he started doing. He started, you know. He started doing the right thing by by the people, um, and and so it can make a difference. But you can't start there and expect that to be the silver bullet. And you got to know it can't it can't make up all the ground. Right. The policy can't make up all of the ground that we have. The policy is not going to be able to fix black schools when uh, the talented kids don't put their kids in those black schools. What do I mean by that? You you can say this school can have all of the resources. I've seen it play out where a school in the hood get all of the resources, but you got all of the kids who don't understand that it's it's actually very much black and African to be the smartest 
in the class because they don't know who Imhotep is. They don't know who Check onto Diop. They don't know who Du Bois is or Carter G. Woodson is. And, and so they don't see themselves in that type of reflection of being smart, wanting to do well in school from an academic scholastic level. Um, and they get all the technology and the tools because the state gave it to them, but they still got the worst graduation rates. Right. That's what, policy, that's, what, that's what these policies have given us when we don't get to the core of it. And, and, and more than that, um, our greatest wins from, a, from the political structure, okay, those wins have come usually from executive powers. Emancipation Proclamation, Sherman Order 15, uh, the civil rights bills that were pushed hard by somebody that you know it was an act of God. Uh, LBJ was the only one pushing for it. And this man used to call the civil rights bill the nigger bill. He trying to get the nigger bill passed. Right. So, you know, we wasn't voting for him. He was just as bad as Trump. He was a Dixiecrat. Dixiecrat was synonymous with KKK. Right. You know, this is who LBJ was, but he, he's the one that did the most. Um, and it wasn't because we, we voted him in. It wasn't because of that. You know, it was because, whatever it was because, you know, I say it was an act of God, but eventually all the powers that be that were working on our behalf uh, got to him. He said, this is what needs to happen. There was some political strategy for him to try to do that. But my point is, we didn't vote him in. Uh, we didn't vote Abraham Lincoln in. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, didn't, we didn't vote uh, um, Andrew Johnson in. You know, right. worst president at Earth, you know, so so it, it's, we over-index on politics with no economics. You know, we don't control the purse strings, so we can't control the politicians who's going to follow the purse strings. The whole thing is about survival, and politicians want to be re-elected, survive, and to be re-elected, they got to chase money so that they can go into a campaign and we ain't got nothing to offer that way. So usually we just left with our pants down um, after we didn't give it up to him for free. Right. You know, now, and, look, and, I mean, it's some real, it's some, it's some real, it's some real shit, man. So like that's, it's one of them things where people go so hard on it and they don't reflect on the, the stuff that can be done outside of it. That's why I love that point. Um, and speaking of uh, economics, um, number 10, you give some really good books that we need to read. And that's the one I want to wrap it up with your number 10, unless you have another one you want to point out. But like I said, I'm going to add all of these on our show notes. Mm-hmm. So everybody will be able to read everything. But number 10, you gave some books and reading the first book that you titled is actually how I started Spendify. It's why I started Spendify after I read this book. Yeah. Read, think and discuss. Begin with Poweronomics and Black Labor, White Love by Dr. Claude Anderson, Miseducation of the Negro by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, Black Reconstruction by Du Bois, uh, Black Economics by Juwanza Kanjufu. These are just some books that really talk about for future survival of Black folk in America, we have to... Here's the thing with all of these books. It's an education about whose team you're on and what plays we should be running. I feel like black America uh, is often the little kid that's playing t-ball for the first time and the ball gets hit and they turn the other way playing in the grass. 
not knowing what's going on. And everybody's yelling at him, like, hey, turn around, turn around. And by the time it's already too late, you know, I feel like that's us. We don't even know we're in the game. And then once we realize we're in the game, we don't know whose team we're on. Right. You know, we're running the wrong way into the other end zone. You know, running away from these books help you understand whose team you're on, what game we're playing, and then what the play is. Right. Yeah, what the play is. And, 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 you know, powernomics may not make sense to a lot of folks unless you read Black Labor, White Wealth first. Right. To understand truly, like, what we are left out of but what has been built on us. Mm. So we're the underbelly. A lot of times we think white folks are doing things on purpose to us. And we're just the, we're not even a part of it. We're just the afterthought or no thought at all. Right. You know, because, because our utility, our utility was played out after, after Jim Crow, um, after sharecropping. But even for a lot of us before sharecropping, I mean, we just, we were brought here for a specific task. It's like, uh, it's, it's, you know, these, these farmers with, with, with COVID and everything, you know, they can't raise the pigs and the cattle. What, what, what are those animals good for? Right. You know, that's, that's basically what we were. And that's sometimes where we end up being treated like vermin. So unless we make ourselves, uh, a collective asset, um, for ourselves to protect ourselves, number one, we have no chance. But here's the beauty of when we do that. When we become sexy to the world, we'll get treated better by them too. I'm not saying do it for them. I'm saying we need to do it for us because we got to take care of our own. Right. But what happens is that the reason Asians ain't got to worry about the vote because ain't nobody messing with them like that. They know who their, you know, they know who their doctors are and, the, you know, all of these things. They, they understand that, you know what I mean? And, and, and if we, if we approach it to say, look, we have to create communities for ourselves where we thrive, I guarantee you a lot of people are going to want to play in the sandbox in the right way and come to us correct. The number one thing that was stopped and the reason this list was created is just this, this inhumane, asinine uh, occupation in our communities for the police. Right. You know, that that's the first thing that would would be the stop if we created for ourselves and we could police ourselves. I rock with it, bro. Uh, first of all, I just want to thank you for coming on, man, and just giving it. If y'all do me a favor, if you're listening to this podcast right now, go to the show notes, look at the backs of the blacklist. All ten of them are there. Uh, Javante has laid out some clear things. Like I, I would say this. Um, Keith sent me an article about the seven people killed in Tennessee during that rally. And at that time, and you know, I haven't, I, I ain't gonna lie. Like I know I'm around so many people that are, uh, registered armed. Like my homeboys are coaches. They, they arms dealers. They, they teach guns and I still didn't have one. But when I seen that, I was like, you know what? I'm playing because you know, they say when you know better, you do better. And there's no reason why I shouldn't do it. So, you know, I went and got registered and got my firearm last week. So, um, it's, we in this thing, man. Like I am, since I met you, I've been trying to live by this list and apply this list to everything that I'm doing. So I thank you for being the thought leader of this, but not just a thought leader, but you're actually a person that's walking what you're talking. And I appreciate you that. And I just appreciate, I appreciate your whole family, man. Y'all are, I made this whole post. 
this uh gay ass post about y'all uh two years ago. Yeah, man, you know that makes me very uncomfortable when you do though. <laughs> but I meant I meant every word about it, man. Like I, I I I don't think you understand how much I love and respect you and Talitha and everything y'all do for the people. I appreciate you, Doc. We we love you too, man. If there's one thing I can just say in closing, it is number six on this list, which says be positive and optimistic and filled with hope. There really is no room for anything else. If we want to see change, let's just all be change agents. So no matter how how desperate it looks, uh, we got to keep the faith. We got to believe, like King said, that the moral arc of the universe has always been towards justice. So if we're doing the business, of defending those, the least of these and those of the, uh, the, the oppressed. Uh, we know God's always on the side of the oppressed. We'll be all right. I'm with that. I think that's a beautiful way to end, sir. You got to uh, tell the people how they can get in touch with you or if you even want that. I know he don't really fuck with no, people like that. Now, <laughs> now, you know, I ain't trying. Don't run up on me. If I don't know you. Don't be talking about, oh, I bet I heard this. Okay. That's nice. Talk to L. <laughs> Hey, you and Keith got so much in common, bro. <laughs> Y'all got so much in common. You don't even know. With that being said, man, give my boy a round of applause. Right. Cool, cool. So appreciate you, dog. We uh, I'll let you know how it go. We'll edit it up and we'll send it out to you. Uh, but we launch on Tuesday. All right, cool, man. All right, appreciate you, Vontae. Told you about that, but Javante. Yeah, hey man, he the truth though. I, you know, I I like Javante because I like that, you know, just to myself, <laughs> private. Nah, <laughs> but you know, you, one thing about it, man, I had Javante on, but it would have even been more powerful if I could have brought on uh, Talitha, his wife. Uh, she has a movement, Black Girls Speak. Uh, she goes in even in herself, and then they both are uh, poets. They are they're poets. They oh, spoke see, a word. I, I didn't know that part. Oh, but that, that boy Javante ill like. I just know how he is. He probably want to do it for me, so I ain't asking for nothing. <laughs> but like, but uh, Javante be going hard, man. And I just appreciate him for that conversation, y'all. Do me get a favor. Make sure y'all take that back to blacklist. It's in the show notes. Post it. Yeah. Post it on your timeline and get others to do it. And uh, we out. So uh, with that being said, you already know how we always do, man. We love y'all. We need y'all. But most importantly, we can't wait to see y'all next week.